Welcome to episode one of the Visiting Vinos podcast. I'm your host, some guy named Jared, and that's S-O-M-M, guy named Jared, on Instagram or TikTok or any of the other social medias that I decide to join. I am joined today by a guy named Ryan Snowtrinkle. That's what it says on his driver's license. If that's his actual name, we'll find out. I think that seems like something that uh, he made up when he watched Game of Thrones. But we'll get to that. For those of you who have never listened to the podcast, which is all of you, this podcast is going to be pretty much exploring the hidden gems of wine country in America. I know everybody's visited European wine country that listens and they're like, oh, you know, American wine country. Eh. Yeah. Listen, this is going to dive deep into the best experiences. For those of you guys who don't know me, some guy named Jared, I am one of the experts in wine country all over the world. I have traveled near and far and I have found some of the hidden gems and created one of the best wine tour uh, wine tour companies in America. And that is allowed me to pretty much live my dream. I literally go out, I explore wine, I explore beer, I explore even distilling, but for the most part, wine is where I come home to. And this has allowed me to be everything from touring people like the real housewives of Beverly Hills to having Ashton Kutcher to you name the celebrity. They've probably been on our tours. We take people around on 1914s era, San Francisco cable cars around to the most amazing wine country that you've ever gone to. Anyways, but that's not why we're here. I'm here to tell you guys all about some hidden gems that you may never have heard of and give you kind of a resource to be able to like listen to an episode and be like, hey, I'm traveling to Napa or hey, I'm traveling to Virginia. Whatever, wherever you're traveling, we're going to know all the best wineries to hit and some of the stuff that you can't find by Googling where, you know, when you Google something like, Hey, best wineries in Sonoma or best wineries in Napa. Most of the results are going to be highly paid, highly integrated SEO results that you probably didn't know. And it's going to be big mega wineries that paid to have those spots. And that's where I'm going to come in and tell you how to find those things off the beaten path that if you haven't spent 20 years living in wine country, you're going to figure it out now. So let me introduce my guest. He is Ryan Snowtrinkle. He actually heads up the wine tour division for Cable Car Wine Tours. He has been to probably as many wine area regions, uh, different AVAs as I have. So let me uh, let me introduce you to Ryan Snowtrinkle. Ryan, tell us, uh, first of all, got to tell us where the hell this name comes from. <laughs> and the next thing you got to tell us is like, give us how you ended up being a wine wine guy for America. <laughs> that is my real name. Yes. Uh, and- Oddly enough, I hyphenated my last name with my wife. Uh, I know that's a little bit different, but uh, basically my wife always said uh, that I wasn't going to take your last name because she had the last name of Snow, and it was you know a name that comes from a fifth-generation Coloradoan, and it, of course she's not going to take my last name of Trenkel, uh, as no one would. So we both made a you know, a, a pact to do it together, and that's kind of where Ryan Snow Trenkel came from, which just, just kind of rolls off the tongue, I, like, I think, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Game of Thrones. It sounds like, <laughs> like everybody welcome Ryan Snow Trinkle to the ring. <laughs> the Bastard of the North. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. I mean, like, you should be, like, if I, if I saw that name online, I would literally think you're 300 pounds, six foot six, and then you come in looking like, I mean, pretty much Robin Williams. <laughs> it, you're close. It's just not that tall or not that big, I guess. I don't know, but it's pretty close. <laughs> um, yeah. So you just want to know about my yeah, background. Yeah. Yeah. How did you end up in, like, you literally drink wine for a living? You tell people wine stories. I mean, 
when we talk about like, how do we make a podcast called visiting vinos? And we're talking about like people that visit wine country. How did you, you're literally the ultimate visiting vino. So (laughs) tell us, tell us how you got there. I know. I I love kind of telling everyone what I do and and they're always dumbfounded that I I ended up with this job. And, um, basically I'm a teacher at heart. I was a teacher for 18 years, uh, middle school history, uh, it kind of just lends itself to drinking and talking, uh, knowing things, which is again, game of Thrones. There's second game of Thrones reference here. Uh, I'm, I'm just a lover of all things, food and drink. And it's not just about, uh, what it is, the types and everything else. It's also like the history of it, uh, the regional, uh, differences. And I've been fascinated by, by what makes a region, what it is, uh, what food comes from that, what, what wine, what beer, what, what distilling kind of happens there. And experiencing not just what they have to offer, but also what the locals kind of bring to that and finding that kind of like kind of local experience. I mean, there's the stereotypical experiences of the area that are great and they're great for a reason, but then finding those off the beaten path things, those things that are, are more suited to what the, the locals know is really kind of cool. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I just kind of got into it almost kind of like backwards where, uh, I just never thought I could really take that, that experience that I have and then make it into a career, a uh, second career, if you will, because obviously I just kind of thought I was going to be a teacher for life and here we are and I'm doing kind of what I love to do. So, and when you got into wine, was it, would you say it was, Hey, you know, I'm passionately, yeah, like drinking it, you know, <laughs> Hey, it gets me drunk. Like it's, it's fantastic. Right. And for those of you guys obviously don't know. We're sitting here at a place called Wedding Oak. We're down in Fredericksburg, Texas. We are in the heart of what they're calling the Napa of Texas, whether that's true or not. Maybe yeah. we'll get into later on this podcast, but it, it, it's essentially we are in this barrel room for to give you guys a visual. It's a typical Texas barrel room. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking out. Uh, there's some vines. Uh, we're thinking maybe they produce. We aren't sure, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, they make a hell of a red right now. And apparently they did win. Uh, some golds in the, apparently the only Texas uh, wine that won a gold the other day. Yeah. At a big festival. Um, but it's a very, you know, it's a variable, very drinkable red. It's, you know, for that hot Texas summer, I don't necessarily know if this is something I drink in Napa, but this is a barrel room that I wouldn't even know existed. It's in the back of this building. It's all oak. This is like, <laughs> this is a tasting room essentially, but it's, it's pretty cool. You got in here where, I mean, yeah. it's a hundred degrees outside and we're sitting in, yeah, it might be 56. <laughs> Uh, so it feels pretty amazing. So I, I guess at what point did you essentially go, man, I need to talk about wine for a living. Was it just like, or you're like one drunken high night and you're like, <laughs> holy crap, I've had four bottles of red. And I'm like, dude, I can't go back to school tomorrow. Like, <laughs> I, like, was this like, holy crap, they're never going to let me teach tomorrow. Cause I'm so drunk still. Or was this a more of like, no, I got to make this my passion. I love wine. Yeah, I think the latter. I mean, obviously, as as any teacher that's listening can can attest to, COVID uh, really kind of changed things, and that that's kind of what really pushed me more than anything else uh, into this. Uh, but I think really what it came down to was I, I loved everything about wine. I still love everything about wine, and it's it's kind of combining my love of of drinking the wine, but not just like drinking the wine, but also sharing the wine, the the, the process of it, and everything. The, the knowledge of it, and then taking that and putting it into um, an education kind of stance. And that's like where tours kind of come in were perfect uh, for me because I love leading tours. I love kind of being that kind of purveyor of knowledge. And to take something that I'm passionate about and then making a career out of it was was just hand in hand the next step for me. 
And why, why should anybody believe that, you know, where the hell to go in wine country or what to drink <laughs> or like, I mean, are we talking like you're, you're sitting here sipping, you know, Cabernets and everybody that's listening is going to be like, Oh, I drink white. Like, <laughs> so give me the, do you like everything across the gamut or is it going to be, you're pretty much like, ah, man, I'm a red guy. So every, <laughs> everything I'm talking about is going to be red or it's going to be white or it's going to be sparkling. <laughs> well, we, we were just ordering this wine, uh, to sip over here and, you know, Jared says, Oh, I want like a, a nice red. And I said, I want liquid. Uh, and that's because I, I really do enjoy all types of wine. Uh, I have experienced every type of wine that's out there. I love everything from a sweet white and a, and a sparkling brute, uh, all the way up to a Madeira, a port and everything in between. And I really do enjoy every single varietal and can tell you what's good about it, what's bad about it, what kind of, uh, types that are out there that you'd enjoy, what regions you'd enjoy. Uh, and so it's, I guess like to be able to trust me would be to, to say that, uh, I've experienced so much to then give that experience to other people and let them know kind of what they would enjoy as well. I always get asked, like, what's the best bottle of wine out there? And I always say what you like. And that's the truth. If you like something that other people don't like, it's okay because that's your favorite and go with that. So I think taking that. Yeah. And I, uh, I don't know if you keep a list, I keep a running list in my uh, pocket of my phone and like <laughs> if we're at a restaurant or wherever we're at, like when I'm in Oregon, I typically ask most of the, you know, I'll ask everybody like, Hey, what were good years for Oregon Pinot? You know, and you're like, Oh, you know, we like 18, we like 16. We like, you know, you get the locals opinion and I keep like a running list so that if I'm essentially going to a restaurant, you know, to impress my friends, I'm always like, Oh, well, this is a 16 Pinot Noir from, <laughs> uh, you know, Willamette Valley. I was like, let's, uh, let's drink that. Cause I, you know, chances are I knew that was a good year. Do you keep anything like that where you're, you're like, Hey, uh, you pull out these like cards of like, you know, like, Hey, here's the list of things to impress my friends at a, at a restaurant <laughs> Oh, all the time. And that's like the biggest poll you can have. Cause seeing that wine list in front of you and you get handed it and now you're on, on stage, right? You're going to pick a bottle of wine, having a go-to like that and just knowing, okay, I know I want this varietal. I want this year and you're going to be money every time. All right. <laughs> now l let's get in something very controversial. Ooh. Tell me, uh, what is your favorite wine country in America? Uh, see, I'm, I'm, it's going to be funny because I'm going to be a poser at this point and say it's going to be Napa. I'm sorry. Um, all around the country, I love everything about different wine countries. But when it comes down to it, uh, my wife and I are always saying we want to go back to Napa. We go back to Napa all the time, Napa, Sonoma. Um, it's because it's not just about the wine. It's the experience. They have the best restaurants in the world. And they have some of the best um wine in the world. Can Cabernet. you get in those restaurants? Because every time I go, it's like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't want you uh, talking about this or blogging about this. So they're like, <laughs> no reservations available for you, sir. Well, I guess it just depends on who you are, right? And just tell them who you are and who you want to be that day, I guess. I don't know. You never know. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the biggest thing for me with, with Napa is it's not just the wine. It's not just the restaurants. It's the feeling of the town. It's uh, the the changing aspect of it. Napa's always on the forefront of wine. Uh, they change what they do in, in wine country. Everyone else emulates after that. And um, the fact that you have all these different kinds of experiences where you could take a train, you could take a cable car, you could take a, a, a person driving your car as your tour, it really lends itself to a lot of different experiences. And I think that that's where you got to say Napa. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a second. Some dude driving your car, like, like, Hey Chuck, yeah, come on in brother. There, uh, you can have the keys to my, not that I have Maserati, but like, Hey, yeah, drive me around Maserati. Like, <laughs> I feel runner. like, I, I feel like when I want to go there, I'm like, I want an experience that's not mm -hmm. 
somebody driving me in my Buick. Like, I, I, like, so that scares the shit out of me that somebody's going to be like, hey, man, uh, just by the way, I didn't, uh, I didn't put brake fluid in today. <laughs> you're going to take me in my car. Well, you know, I mean, like, you're not going to just wine taste for one day. Who just goes to Napa for one day? Come on. So you're going to have the experience of the, the bougie uh, tour, the, the private limo, the private van, the, the cool experience. And then, hey, I just want to go out and just have a good time in wine country. I don't want to drive because I'm going to be drinking all day. I'm going to hire someone to drive my car. It's a rental forerunner, a stock forerunner, and that's what <laughs> I'm going to do. And, you know, it's, it's a great experience because I get to still have a little bit of history and, and get a, a little bit of camaraderie with the driver. And it's my car, so everything's cool. And we just hop in and out and just taste wine country, you know. So, I mean, you keep going back to, like, it's the experience of their, the best restaurants, the best wine, or, like, is it the best wine though? Like, or, or is it that, 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 those other things that are those, those non-material, those <laughs> things that are playing into your tasting experience, is that what's making it the best wine country? Cause, but, and I'm it, like tasting blindfolded in my basement. I don't know it's from Napa, mm-hmm. right? So is that, is that really the best wine you think? That's a really good uh, question there. Like, I think for me, it depends on what you're drinking. Not everything from Napa is going to be the best. Um, I think if you have a Napa cab, uh, and you stack it up against any other cab in the country, it's going to be at least one of your favorites, if not the best, right? Uh, and that's because that's what grows well there. And so I, again, I go back to regionality and going back to that regional kind of aspect where, of course, if I order something like a Pinot from Napa, it's not going to be as good as one from Willamette Valley, Washington, Oregon, because that's not the good region for that. And so really, it's not about, I understand like there's always that, that Napa kind of stigma where, oh, I mean, it's just because it says Napa, you like it. Like, no, that's not actually the case. I mean, it's actually, if you really taste a lot of wine and you taste a lot of cabs and shards, which they're more kind of, um, uh, suited to grow, it's going to be probably up there at the best. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, you make a good point because I do tell everybody, I, I have the hardest time when I taste Pinot and it's like, I, I dread. I'm like, oh, California <laughs> Pinot. I'm like, oh, all right. I, I mean, I want that Oregon. I want that Willamette. Um, and so it, it's like, but I try, I've, I've tried to train myself to be like, okay, because we're in America and this is a very European tasting way. We're like, oh, that doesn't taste like a Bordeaux, you know? And it's like, well, no shit. It was made in Texas. <laughs> um, and I have a real problem with that, like in my mind, because that's what the Europeans have taught me to be like, hey, when you taste this, like if I taste a uh, sparkling, you know, because obviously they can't call it champagne here, right? It's like America's done a good job of being like, it's a sparkling. Now sparkling can taste like whatever, right? And right. it doesn't need to taste like champagne from France. Right. And, but Pinot is one of those things where I mean, I feel like when I taste that, I'm just like, boom, instantly to Oregon. And I'm like, God, this sucks. Like, <laughs> so when people make it outside, and, and we're obviously in Texas and right now, um, for those of you who can't see that, because you, know, you can't, because we're not recording this on video, but, <laughs> um, we're drinking a cab in Texas. Cabs have actually weirdly gotten a lot better in, I'd say the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these things where it's like, they're actually, I mean, it's clearly, you can tell it's California winemakers coming down here and they're, they're making, they're trying to bend these grapes to make it like California. And whether that that's the right way or not, I, you know, not my, not my thing to say, but I think they've gotten better. I think they've gotten, they're still not the heavy, heavy cabs that I'm used to. But, you know, like when you go to California, it's like, if I drink a Zin and it is not from Napa, I'm like, dude, what, what'd you do to this thing? Like, why is it so sour? Like, you know, yeah. or acidic, you know, it, it's, I'm looking for those kind of, 
those tastings. So when I go to Napa, that that's why I'm like in my basement, I don't necessarily know if I'd know, like mm-hmm. I, I would definitely know a Pinot. Like I've done this, I've done this test where I've like been sitting down there. I'm like, all right, here's three wines. One's Texas, one's California. For the most part, part, I'm definitely still even as trained as I am. And for you guys listening, like you got to get that out of your mindset. When you taste a new region, you're like, you know, Virginia makes some really great wines. And it's one of those things like, man, you can't compare them. You just got to appreciate it for what it is and, mm-hmm. and focus on that. And I think that the biggest part to really like kind of finish that thought is a lot of times I will just kind of put out a bottle of wine without telling anyone what it is. Because immediately when you hear cab, you hear Pinot, you already have formed it in your head because of what you've had before. With the gand, it's going to taste like that, but it's going to be a good wine just made with a grape that is just a little bit different that time. So yeah, when I do that uh, in a brown bag at my kids' baseball games, it's it <laughs> tends to like not quite go over quite like that. I, I tried it, you know, a couple. <laughs> Couple uh, public intoxications later, and here we are on a podcast, and that's why I'm driving a Buick. And uh... you can't argue bottles and strikes; it's a problem. You can't argue bottles and strikes. All right. So I know you've been to tons of wineries. Which favorite winery? Ooh, Is, it doesn't question. have to be Napa. It can be you know where, where, where's it got to be. So I, I guess I got to answer that with with two choices here because I'm going to give you a splurge choice and let's say like more of a cheaper choice or like a more budget friendly choice. Um, the splurge choice is actually going to be in Napa. It's going to be in St. Helena. Uh, it's going to be Sabina Vineyards. Never uh, been there. What's, uh, describe the building. What's it look like? Yeah. So, so Sabina is literally in a guy's house. Um, and, and that, can, that's your splurge, uh, some dude's house. Like you're that's like, that's the splurge. Hey man, yes. you got Bud Light and wine. <laughs> well, that's the best part because he offers everything. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so basically the, the, is a splurge because the only feature, uh, Cabernet, uh, they make a, a Sauvignon Blanc, which they're always out of, it seems like, and a Pinot Noir that they actually grow in Oregon. Uh, and that's all they make. But the best part about this is it's reservation only. It is, uh, you basically kind of get into the, the person's house. He greets you. It's, if it's not him, the owner, it's actually going to be the, uh, like winemaker. You get brought into their facility, which is literally in the, in the garage, if you, if you will. It's kind of like a more of like a, a super fancy garage basement thing. And then you taste wine with the owner, uh, by yourselves, with charcuterie, with everything else on this gorgeous patio in this kind of a backyard. And it's one of the best experiences in Napa because you've already gone through all the bougie places. You've done the big tours and there you are by yourself with a winemaker drinking amazing Cabernet. And it's just you. It's, it's beautiful views. It's in the St. Helena region. So it's got those, those views down the valley. And it's really just an experience that you can't replicate because of the person, the kind of the personal touch more than anything else. Um, in terms of the, the more budget friendly is actually going to be a winery called Turkovich, which is in Winters, California, which is in between, uh, it's in Yolo County, which is kind of like almond country in between Sacramento and set and San Francisco. It's a little one stoplight town of winters. That's known for great food. Surprisingly, uh, a great coffee shop and a very, very, very good winery. Uh, they have a great lineup of, lineup of wines that are uh, great blends. They make an amazing GSM. They make uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, Zinfandel. And they're just kind of known for being a great winemaker that no one really knows about. And I could put their wine up against a Napa wine um, any day of the week. And it might not win, but for the price difference, you're going to be for their 20 to $40 or maybe actually in the teens to $40 per bottle for their most expensive bottle. And it's going to be an amazing bottle of wine. Huh? 
I, I mean, I, like now I want to add this dude's house to my, uh, certainly <laughs> to my list of places I'm going to be in Napa in August and looking forward to doing that. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, man, what to, would you say is like off the beaten path? Maybe it's not even in wine country. Maybe it's just like, man, there's the, there's a wine barn down the street or like, you know, like, I mean, we have all these urban wineries popping up nowadays and you know, I'm, I, I'm always intrigued when I, when I go to like an urban winery, I'm like, Hmm, one, like I can kind of see through the bullshit of like, are they actually making wine or do they not? Like, I know, I know kind of the state laws state to state where I'm like, Hey, I already know that's not legal to have a winery and a brewery. And I'm like, you're clearly making the beer. So you're obviously importing the wine, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty good at seeing through that shit. Uh, but what would you say is like off the beaten path? And it, it can be a winery. I'm just, mm-hmm. it, but it can also be, you know, like, Hey, mom's shack on the side of the road <laughs> off the 110. Yeah. I mean, like, like winters is pretty off the beaten path. Uh, but I think people have kind of figured that out a little bit more because it's near wine country that it's you no, know, not as much off the beaten path. Uh, in terms of like a, a region, I'm going to go local here for me, which is going to be Palisade, Colorado. It is peach country. It's in the Western slope. It's dry, but it is actually fantastic wine country up there. It's got amazing views. The wine is pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to put it up against anything that's a a, a normal wine region, but in terms of like an experience, again, to kind of say that, uh, in a regional aspect, it's actually a really, really cool wine country that not a lot of people know about. And it's not just about the wine. It has a great distillery, has a good brewery. And just some some kind of fantastic new experiences of of people that don't really do a lot of that stuff out there. Um, wineries, hmm. I would say one of my favorite ones more recently is going to be Vindemia in Temecula. Vindemia, I don't, Vindemia. Like, I mean, I've been all over Temecula. I don't think I know that one. Yeah, and and that's what I was about to say is that it's it's one of those like uh, small wineries that. You might not even know it's a winery. You can actually be sitting at a winery, staring at it from across the road, and you don't realize it's a winery. Um, all they have is a small little tasting uh, bar outside, like a little shack and a tent outside. And they have, I would say, the best winery in Temecula across the board in terms of wine quality. So is that in wine country? Or is that more downtown? It's literally in wine country. It's across really? the street from some big wineries like Akash and Faulkner and everything else. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to have to add that to the show notes. Like. Uh, I'll probably link to that and see what that, that place is like. And then I guess next time I'm in Temecula, I got to go check that out. <laughs> Definitely go uh, see David. Good. <laughs> David. Huh? All, right. All right. I hope he's still, is he an owner or is he a manager? He's the owner. He's oh, okay. the winemaker, <laughs> owner, everybody. He's good peeps. Yeah. So. I always, I always hate when people are like, going, you're like, <laughs> shit, like somebody give me the owners. Like I'm like tired of like going looking for like the winemaker who's now like moved him Robert Mandavi or something. Oh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, gee, you know, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> if David's not there, Vindemia is not there. So, okay. All right. There. All right. So we're going to go look for David at Vindemia. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's pretty cool. So I guess, you know, tell me about the most, I would say unique or like the, the greatest experience you've ever had doing a wine tasting. And, and I know a lot of people are like, uh, probably a lot of people that listen are going to be, you know, hey, I just drink wine at home. I've really actually never been to a winery because, mm-hmm. I mean, you think of most of America, like wineries are popping up kind of all over, but they're not like, they're not, they're not like breweries where they're like breweries. I feel like became your like neighborhood bar where you're just like, hey, I'm going to go to the brewery instead of to the bar. Like, you know, my dad went to get a Bud Light at the, you know, place with the, the, you know, the neon sign. And now we've moved to like, now my, like if we were growing up now, like my kids would be like, Oh yeah. Dad went to the brewery. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's like, you know, sometimes when I'm looking for like a tasting experience and uh, you know, I, 
I'm all, I asked this question, but it's like, at the same point, I'm also like, man, I don't even know if I'd know how to answer this because it's, it's one of these, these great things where it's like, man, the best, it's like my tasting experiences change every time. And I freaking love, like absolutely love, like a uh, private owner tasting in a cave or like, uh, I've actually, I, I did a wine tasting on a boat one time that was just like a sailboat. <laughs> like it was actually like, um, I think the, the ship, I, I, uh, I'm trying to remember the movie it was featured in. I feel like it was, it was uh, a wedding, cra- no wedding crashers. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was in Annapolis, Maryland and these guys, it, it, and I call it what, uh, a wine tasting, but it wasn't, it wasn't essentially like, it wasn't a winery. It was just, they bought bottles of wine and it's like, you, you took the cutter out and it was like, would you like me to pour you a white or a red, sir? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, ah, I don't know. This is what, like $5 million boat. I'll take the white. <laughs> um, so tell me like, and again, it does not have to be a winery. Tell me like, where did you just have this, some amazing wine tasting experience? Nice. And it, I swear to God, this podcast will end. If you tell me it was like, oh, Dirk Bentley's bar in Nashville. Oh no. Okay. Well, I mean, Dirk's is nice, you know, but you know, to quote, uh, you know, letter Kenny Dirk's, I'm not sure that's going to be working for me. So, um, the best experience uh, is going to be at a winery, actually, still, but it's going to be called uh, Repree in Sonoma. Ooh. It's at the top of Moon Mountain, uh, which is kind of the famous region in Sonoma. It is the most unique experience across the board for wine tasting, especially if you want to go to a wine region and do a wine tasting at a winery. This is going to be different than anything you've ever experienced. You get up this what I would almost call a dirt road. It's a single lane, barely paved road. And you are wondering we're here basically being so they had to actually come out and open the gate for us. And then you get brought down into this kind of pretty rustic, uh, but still big building kind of uh, winery. And you get greeted with a glass of wine straight into your hands. Welcome to Repri. And kind of a little bit of uh, background and a little kind of personal experience. You have a, a, your own kind of uh, tour guide there. And then he says, okay, well, enough about that. I have some wine with me. Let's get into an ATV and we're going to drive up that mountain right there. You're like, okay. <laughs> so that, I mean, that, that's absolutely like, that's crazy to me. Like I also like at the same point I'm listening to this and I'm like, uh, like, how do you, like, if you got busy enough, like how the hell do you keep this running? Like, <laughs> like how could you possibly meet every guest with a glass and then take them on your ATV? So is yeah. this like a one-off, like it's going to be like, Hey, you better call ahead and be like, is the owner there? Big time, yeah. Is he, well, uh, it, you, you can you can arrange this online, obviously, but it's it's going to be a, a one and done kind of thing. You can't just pop in there. If you do pop in, they might uh, serve you some wine, but you're not going to be having the full experience, you know, kind of thing. Um, but this wine is so far off the beaten path that that no one really knows about it, you know. So, um, but so you drive up this this mountain basically on this ATV, and you get up to the top of this ridge where the original vines were planted, which is way back in the '60s. Uh, it used to actually be one of those uh, communes where people like high-end business people um, from like San Francisco would come out and basically pay to do like farm work to like get away from the hustle and bustle of like, you know, the, the city life. And they planted these vines in the 60s, which they still harvest from at the top of this of this mountain, which overlooks San Francisco and the Bay. And you can see all the way to the bay into the ocean from the top of this mountain, which you never would expect because you're in the middle of wine country in, in like inland. Um, so you do some wine up there because obviously he's brought some wine with you to give us a little bit more history. And then you kind of drive around a little bit more and you go back down to that tasting room and you think, okay, that was really fun. And then you go into the caves. So in that commune time, they have these volcanic uh, kind of 
mountains on Moon Mountain, and they dynamited illegally now um, <laughs> all these uh, caves, these massive caves, which is where their wine storage is. And now you have another experience of crazy big caves, these these volcanic rock, and you're like, I can't believe I'm in the same winery now. And you have this great tour through there with, of course, more wine. And you think, okay, that was another good experience. Okay, I think we're pretty much done here. And then you get led up into a tasting room, which is kind of like a tower with a panoramic view. A charcuterie board is waiting for you. And you have another wine tasting, a wine flight that is brought out for you. And a personal kind of like kind of back and forth with the tour guide you've been doing. It just keeps going and going and going with fantastic wine and un unrivaled uh, pictures and stories from there. So tell me, how did you end up finding this? How did you end up booking this? Like, was this like on their website? Like, Hey man, you can have this amazing experience. It's $500. Like what, what did this cost? What, like what, how did you end up there? <laughs> so uh, it's basically a friend uh, from actually Texas. Um, they're, they're uh, you know, kind of parents are, are members at Reprie. That's why they knew about it. And of course, then they set up the tasting. You can set up anytime on their website. Uh, it's a public tasting. You just have to kind of book it was in advance. Um, I believe it was like 150 bucks, but because they were members, it was free. And if you join, it's also free. And you get this whole experience. And I think it's one of those things where it's not just about um, the cost. Like $150 for a tasting sounds, oh my gosh, it's a lot. But it's a couple hours experience. Like you're paying for everything, right? So it's it's worth it. Yeah. So while we're on that, like let's talk about these tasting fees. Like Because I feel like... <laughs> I've traveled everywhere and like you get to Europe and they'll literally pour you a glass of wine for a dollar mm -hmm. or, you know, I mean, it just depends where you're going, but it's like in America, like Napa has set this like expectation that, Oh, these tasting fees are $300. And you're like, <laughs> like, like why, how, cause yes, land has different value and production, some what value, but making a bottle of wine is definitely does not range in, uh, you know, three to six bucks a bottle-ish. Um, you know, some of the other really higher end. The, the lower case counts, obviously, are going to have higher costs, right? But Napa, when you go there, it, it's they are so used to getting, like, a $60 tasting is like, mm -hmm. it, that's that's what you end up with. Like, you're yeah. like, oh, God. So when you go to Napa, you're you're like, hey, man, I, I spent $4,000 on this. Like, I could have gone to Vegas. And, like, I, I mean, like, at least I'd, you know, woken up in an alley and, like, you know, had some pleasure time. But uh, <laughs> this is, like, literally the most, like, Napa is, like, one of the more expensive places I've ever been in my life where mm -hmm. she's like, God, the food's a thousand bucks. The, you know, the tastings are, like, I went to this tasting and I'm like, I had read reviews. It was it was supposed to be this amazing thing. Friends recommended it. It was like 250 bucks a tasting. And I'm like, and it, it was me and my wife and, and the, ta the like tasting room manager, the owner wasn't even there and it was small production. And I'm like, at the end of it, I'm like, wow. I mean, 250 bucks, like mm -hmm. 500 between two of us. Right. And I'm like, not going to make it the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You know, and I, I kind of said how Napa is on the forefront of, of wine. Right. And about, I would probably say about 10 years ago, you started to see that change. And I think that a lot of the wineries got together and they just all decided to kind of like focus on wine tasting and the experiences of everything rather than just doing uh, kind of like wine shelling, you know, like just giving yeah. it out kind of thing, you know. And my last holdout was Heights. Heights Cellars were my favorite wineries. They finally started chase, or charging for wine tastings. There was my last one that was free. 
in uh, Napa a couple years ago, and now it's finally gone to, uh, I think, 50 bucks or whatever. But I think what they've now banked on more than anything else is, okay, we can just give you wine, and hopefully you buy a bottle, or hopefully you join our wine club. Um, but they're realizing, hey, we can make a lot of money on giving you this memorable time at our winery. That It's not just going to be 30 minutes of here's some wine and then um, a guided tour. And you're going to go home and talk to your friends about it and have pictures and bring that experience back. And that's going to then give the pub. And Napa realized that, I think, early on. I bet you you're going to see a lot more of these wineries doing the same thing in other places to kind of work that into their repertoire. Yeah, I mean, I uh, my last time in Napa, I went to a place called Dariush. And uh, weirdly, I only went there because like the steakhouse I had dinner at in Denver was carrying their wine. I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty good. I'm going to Napa next week. I was like, I want to book a, uh, you know, book a tour, book a tasting. And I get down there and like, I booked, I guess I didn't know what I booked, essentially. Like, I, this is the other thing that like, gets me when like, you go book on their website and you're like, I want the library selection. And you're like... What is that? Like, I have no idea. Like, I, you know, I'm like, it's like, all right, I can spend a hundred bucks, 150 or 250. And I'm like, so I get there and like literally no clue. But I, and I walk up to this place. I, and for those people who don't know me, I'm very much like a, I'm wearing uh, sporting gear. Like I'm Lululemon, Lululemon shorts. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I'm mostly <laughs> Lululemon. And so I walk up here and like, I'm like behind this really nicely dressed couple. Like, and it's, I walk up and they turn them away. And I'm like, holy shit, they got a dress code. I'm like, oh no. I'm like, I booked like a $200 tasting. I'm like, holy crap. Like, and they're like, oh, Mr. Oh, Mr. Jared, come on in. <laughs> it's like, because I had an advanced reservation. It's like, and then I'm down. Next thing I know, I'm like down the owner's cellar. And like, I'm, you know, like I'm looking around. I'm like, there's a thousand dollar bottle. There's a $10,000 bottle. There's a 40,000. Like, I'm like, they just let two strangers into this vault of like the owner's like wine. And I'm like, I can't wait for the owner to come down this elevator because apparently it was on site. And I'm like, I'm just going to be sitting here like looking at his wine, like, come on, bro, time to open a bottle. But I, that, you know, that, that for me, that's a Napa experience where it's like, they're just like, shit, come in my house, like do this kind of thing. And they do have very fancy wines. And it does annoy me when it's, um, I listened to another podcast and I think it annoys him too, where they will literally like people bring you over. And if they know, if you, they think you know wine, like, come see my wine room <laughs> and you get into their wine room and it's like, Oh, here's my $10,000 bottle of this and that. And it's like, we're not going to open that. No, 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 no. Uh, Trader Joe's is on the table. Have a good day. <laughs> you know what I'm like? But here it is. Dude, dude, like, I don't want to come in this room. Like, why, why would you show me this stuff? Like, <laughs> it's like 50 shades of wine. Apparently. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, oh, you're talking dirty. I mean, oh it's, like, it's like the best foreplay ever. Oh my God. <laughs> like all my rich friends, like, Oh please, let's open one of these. And then yeah. no, uh, no, Two buck chuck. no. Yeah. It's like, ah, uh, Hey, I know this sucks. Like, what are we doing here? Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of off topic, like, have you ever gone to an amazing, like, tasting where they do a great uh, food pairings, but we end up in a situation where it's like, all right, I don't think charcuterie pairs with everything. <laughs> or it's like, um, and I've been to a few where it's like, wow, the chef comes out and they're like, all right, this is pretty impressive. But typically I do that at a restaurant, not mm -hmm. a winery. Have you ever been to a place like that doesn't just an amazing food pairing? I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much it, right? Like it's, it's going to be a charcuterie slash it's, it's an easy pairing, right? Like, you know, that this cheese goes with this wine or this meat goes with this wine and that's what you do. Or a lot of wineries that do that, you know, 
fall back on that pretty well. Or like you said, it's the restaurants that do it. Um, I'm actually, we were just kind of talking about this uh, yesterday was uh, Southhold out here in Fredericksburg. Yeah. Southhold is a winery, but it also has a restaurant, but it's much more of a winery than a restaurant. And you do a paired tasting there. And, you know, if anything, like, you know, is it the best wine? No. Is it the best food? No. But together, it's a very, very fun and interesting thing. You have amazing views over the hill country and you're getting full on, like, uh, I think I had a seared tuna for one of my pairings. Um, I had uh, obviously a charcuterie thing, but it's all like local things there. Um, I had a, a steak part of it. It was uh, this actual food pairing that was food, not just little bites. And we got to split it. Like the two of us like split a dish each and we were full and we thought we were going there for lunch. We go like, oh, have a light lunch and wine pairing. And all of a sudden we, we didn't have dinner that night because it was just that much food going down there. So yeah, Southhold to me is like, uh, and for all you guys listening, this is one of these things you're going to figure out. I don't sugarcoat anything. So it's like, I'm going to literally <laughs> I tell you how saying. I feel. Uh, so, uh, so Ryan apparently likes Southhold. I can tell you the time I showed up to Southhold, they were out of food and like had a reservation. They're like, well, you made it same day. Like, well, then you shouldn't have taken it. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's fair. So now I'm like, now I'm judgy as fuck. Like I'm literally <laughs> like, I'm going to come up here now. I'm like, you have beer, you have wine. Oh, guess what? Now I'm like, I'm really tasting these for what they are, not when they're paired. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I mean, we all know, like, for those of you who don't know, um, honestly, like wine changes with food. Food doesn't change with wine. So we end up in this situation of like, man, when you don't mix the food with that, like if it was supposed to change the wine to something else, it didn't. And I didn't have that. Yeah. And so my experience there is like, yeah, it's great. Great views. Um, and I'll add South hold to the show notes for anybody who's listening. Cause like, I, listen, I, I give it a bad rap, but it's honestly at the same same point, uh, think of Dave uh, tasting pizza. It's like, man, if the one came out soggy, you get the one bite, right? Yeah. I got one bite. Like it was like, <laughs> that's the I'm, rules. I'm like sitting on these swings at South Hold, and I'm like, uh, you know, I had to drive 15 miles off the main road to get there. I yeah. felt like, and you get up this hill, and like my driver was like, or, you know, like I was, ta- I was. For those of also you don't know, if I'm drinking, I ain't driving. So somebody <laughs> else is driving, and uh, you know, I was on a wine tour that day. We went up there, and it was just it like. It could have been a great experience, but they were like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry, you you booked this same day and we don't we don't have any more food. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, like, come on, man. This is like, you know, like one-on-one of like running a winery. But, <laughs> but it goes back to like, you know, I feel like Coleman Cellars down here, like they're known for doing a wine and food bearing. And I think they do it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Wedding Oak uh, used to have Robert and Robert uh, for that. Wedding Oak is the place we're sitting at, guys. And. They used to like do a custom food pairing because Robert, who you over there, but you know, he was actually, you know, he could pair a meatball with a freaking white and you're like, Oh my God, Robert, what did you do here? Like this tastes amazing, but we didn't end up there today. Like we ended up, you know, we're, we're drinking some wine and, and we're not doing food pairings. But I, again, I, I feel like restaurants are just better situated to be able to do wine and food pairing. So when I see like when I'm hanging out in Denver and I, I look at a place and I'm like, they're doing a food and wine pairing and it's like a high-end restaurant. I'm like, I'm more inclined to do that than when like the winery, you know, that doesn't have a restaurant is like, Oh, we're doing food and wine pairings this month. And it's like, yeah. So you guys got some dude in for the weekend. And I'm like, <laughs> these are going to suck. Well, let's put it out there that like the, the restaurants are also better suited because they have a more wide variety of wine. So they can pair, uh, their food, which they can make anything because they're a restaurant and then do any kind of wine on the planet. And so a lot of like the wineries, it's going to be a very unique uh, kind of pairing because they have their wine, so they just have to kind of force everything else into that. 
And it's a harder thing to do, I think. So if you find a good one, then go with that. So, and by the way, Robert is over at Southwold now. So maybe that's oh, changed it a little bit. So I'm, def- I'm definitely going to get it. I mean, you, you know, I'm down with the Texas wineries. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, it's literally like I, Texas, I feel like is the, the one wine region that can end up rivaling Napa just because of the population in Texas, the, the land mass they have. It's going to be a question of like them finding their own of like what grapes and grow. Like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to Ron Yates and I, I listen to him talk about, uh, Tempranillo and I, mm-hmm. I still struggle with Texas Tempranillos. Like I, like I love Tempranillo. Yeah. Uh, I just, I can't quite get there. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, you know, so in Texas passing laws, like it's going to be harder to call stuff that's made with grapes from other regions, Texas. And I, I, you know, I think that's tough for them, but. Well, you're, you have to love Spanish wine when you're here because it's all about latitudes. That's what I would yeah. say, right? Like it's that latitude across from Europe. You're going to have to love Tempranillo, Mouvedra, Grenache, because that's what grows here, right? Yeah. And if you don't like, that's what, I think that's where people struggle because it's like, they taste those. If they don't like those types of wines, they're definitely going to hate Texas wine. Correct. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I mean, if you like a Northern, like, you know, I, you know, I was, not growing here. I'm sorry. Yeah. I always say this about <laughs> Canada. It's like, we always end up with the ice wine from Canada because it's like, <laughs> that's what they export. And yeah. you're like, well, they don't, have, they're drunks too. So they just, they literally consume, self-consume all their wine. You're like <laughs> you end up with this stuff that's like major shelf, you know, like, Hey, it's shelf stable. It's, it's a Kroger. And you're like, ah, this, Oh sure. This yeah. Great. Oh yeah. That Kokanee is really good right now. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not a nice wine guy, just like I'm not a pork guy, but, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's one of those things where it's like a port in the right setting, but I would much rather have like, you know, a uh, like an amaretto and coffee to like finish my meal versus like a port. Like it's it's, okay. it's tough. Teach their own. <laughs> so I we're gonna get into two things. Uh, one of my more favorite things to do, and for those of you who don't know, if you uh, if you like wine and you drink wine, this is my favorite game to play. Uh oh at every winery with your friends oh, is no. to do a tasting uh, and let them pour you it and then have all your friends guess the alcohol content. <laughs> so Ryan doesn't know this, but the he, we've got two wines in front of us and I know the alcohol contents of both. Really? Yes. Oh, no. So I'm going to let you take a, take a little <laughs> sip and then you tell me what, what you think it is. And so for those of you who don't know, if you take a SOM exam ever and you know me, SOM guy named Jared on TikTok or Instagram, uh, you have to be within pretty much a, uh, plus or minus a half a percent. So you get like 1% total. And so this is the most fun thing to do because like I go to some wineries and you'll be like, if if you know wine, you'll end up tasting a cab and you'll be like, hey, I'm tasting this cab. Like, I already know this cab has got to be in the range of 14 to 17%. And now it's like, all right, how alcoholic is it? How much, you know, like you look at the glass and you're like, all right, is it, uh, you know, is it, is it kind of syrupy like a port, which might, might lead you to believe it's like 16 or 17%. And then I go to a place called like Ron Yates in Texas and I, I drink it and I'm like, mm, 14.5. And then I look at the bottle and he's like pumping out at like 16.7. <laughs> You're like, wow, this is smooth. So we, uh, we have a white and we have a red. Ryan, which one do you want to guess first? Ooh, so I, I actually had to sip out of your glass for the rose because I, I missed that one, uh, with, uh, I already drank it all. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Uh, the rosé, I'm going to guess 12.3. Mm. So close, wasn't I? You were within the 1% tolerance. Ooh, okay. Higher or lower? Um, I mean, 
I gotta say higher than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Twelve five. Twelve five. I almost yeah. said twelve five. It's close. That's close. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it's up there. And I didn't do the prices right. I didn't go over. So No, one, you didn't go over. One so, dollar. One so dollar. he's definitely won a bottle of rose, <laughs> folks. And All right. uh, he will be entering the showcase showdown bum, bum, here bum. in just a second. Let's see the red. Mm. The red's gonna be tough. I can yeah. already tell you this. Yeah, because it's this is a Carignan blend, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um mm. I'm going to say 13.8. Oh, he went low, folks. Oh, no. What? Now, uh, so when you guess 13.8 on this, like, I mean, technically, I typically would give you till 14.3 or I give you till 13.3. And for those of you who don't, most people make Texas wine drinkable at like 13.5 to 14.5. And so when you guess that, you're kind of guessing to be in that range. Mm-hmm. And he's in that range. But yes, this is. Thirteen five. Oh, that wasn't that bad. No, no, that was pretty good. Uh, but Yay. this is like literally, folks. This is one of the most fun things to play with your friends. <laughs> so when you uh, when you get out there, be like, let me taste that. Because for those of you who don't know, one of the easiest ways to figure out if you like a wine is to pick something with a similar alcohol alcohol content to something you know you like. So if you go buy that Trader Joe stuff and you're like, oh, I love stuff at twelve and a half percent. You will probably like very similar varietals at 12.5%. So look at the alcohol content of the bottle. And when you drink that, if I'm wrong, you know, hey, put me on blast. But I'm telling you, stuff you like at 12.5%. And if you don't like stuff at 15, which is like, you know, a lot of cabs, you'll end up, you'll be like, ah, I don't like, I don't like cabs. But it's really, you just don't like stuff that's 15%. Just like (laughs) I don't like navy proof rum or navy proof (laughs) gin. You know, it's like, it's good shit, you know. All right. (laughs) That's good. That's good advice. Yeah. We are going to wrap this up with a little uh, round robin. Ooh. And for those of you um, listening at the end of this, this is going to get controversial. We're hoping for yes, no answers, and we are hoping for very fast answers. All right. Most overrated wine country in America. Five, four, three, two, one. Or I answer for you. So you're going to say Napa. I know. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> it's, it's overrated and underrated at the same part. Uh, I'll say Sonoma. All right. Uh, most, uh, overrated wine type. Overrated wine type? Yeah, like cab. Ooh, all right. Uh, pet nets, yes or no? Yes. Mm, okay. Uh, Texas wine country, over or underrated? Underrated. Okay. Chardonnay. Unoaked. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, what do you think the new cool wine is to drink? The new cool wine What's is- the new Chardonnay? Um, it's going to be Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc. All right. Uh, can wine. Yes or no? Yes. And mega pints. Yes or no? Always. All right. All right, guys. For those of you listening, this is Visiting Vino's podcast. Check us out uh, at visitingvinos.com with an S. Also uh, on social media at Visiting Vino's or at some guy named Jared. You can probably reach Ryan at, um, Cable Car Wine Tours or, you know, Ryan personal. ST82. There you go. <laughs> I guess he's from born in 1982, if I had to guess, folks. And <laughs> his probably bank password is Ryan1982, exclamation mark, hashtag Uh-oh. snow. Wow. I got to change <laughs> my password now. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll get another episode out here in a couple weeks.